I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust. Specialist Fund Managers. Hello podcast fans and welcome to Total Football. Fresh from a weekend featuring one North London derby, two returning heroes for Manchester United and several weeks worth of rain in one day. It's time to get stuck into the Premier League. Today, how good were Arsenal in their victory over Spurs and why can't they do it more often? Is Paul Pogba the key to making Manchester United a team you'd happily watch on television? And are we looking at a two-horse race between David Moyes and Roy Hodgson for the title of English football's saddest man? We'll take a trip down to the Championship where Wolves are looking like a team who've spent more money on players than almost anyone else. Funny that. Plus, we're joined by Lindsay Hooper to discuss the most exciting of weather systems, a social media storm. We'll find out if Arsenal were in the wrong for basking in their moment of glory by ribbing a journalist on Twitter. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by our chief football correspondent, Jason Burt. Jason, how are you? I'm fine, Tom. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Jason, you've just arrived from Watford 2, West Ham 0. Fair to say this was not the start David Moyes wanted. No, and uh, it was made worse by the uh, the behaviour of the uh, West Ham supporters, who I can't blame them, but they turned on the board, they turned on Andy Carroll, uh, they were very choice in their, their, their chanting towards them, and I think David Moyes was a bit shocked by it all, really. I think the saving grace for him was it didn't turn him, or not yet anyway. Is this the first time they've been singing sack the board and things to that effect? I think in the past they, they have obviously vented their anger, but I think they've almost kind of reached a point now where they, they're just so despondent with what's been going on at the club and obviously they're blaming the ownership for, for that and the stadium move and various other things and I think they just reached the end of the tether. Joe Hart looking slightly dodgy again that second Beaten goal. to his left yet again. Yeah, didn't yeah. get down quickly to it yeah. either, did he? He made one very fine save uh, from a header I think from uh, Mariapa but yes, absolutely right. I mean, and you think he's one of their big signings. You know, he's on an awful lot of money at West Ham, I'm told he's only £140,000 a week, which is quite an extraordinary amount of money for a goalkeeper. It's more than you and me combined, Jason. Exactly. And um, I don't think it's worked at all for, for them. I think they, they, they wanted a big character, a sort of, you know, a big personality in the dressing room. But actually, you know, they had a perfectly good goalkeeper in Adrian in the first place. And I don't think they needed him. Mm. What about Watford? Will Hughes possibly coming into his own a little bit? A lovely goal for him. 
Great. He scored. He scored his first Premier League goal with his first shot on target. So that's a good stat for Fantastic. him. And uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think he's an interesting player because people have talked about him for many, many years when he's at Derby County. I remember even Liverpool were linked with him not so long ago, but he never really sort of kicked on. I think one of the one of the criticisms of him was that he was a bit he's a bit lazy out of possession. He doesn't work hard enough. But I think with this manager Marco Silva, he's got him working extremely hard and on the ball. He's he's very talented. Moving on to the North London derby of Saturday, Arsenal 2 at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Neil, the Mike Dean fan club may have lost some members from its Tottenham and Haringey branch this weekend. Bit of a non-foul for the free kick which caused the goal, Jason. Did that swing the game? Well, you know, I don't know what he did wrong. He gave, he gave a free kick that wasn't a free kick and he, and he let in two offside goals. I mean, apart from that, it was perfect for Mike Dean. But um, no, I mean, actually Arsenal you know, just fully deserved their victory. They've obviously had a bit of a bad luck themselves recently, not, not least against Manchester City. But yeah, the referee uh, didn't contribute to Tottenham's uh, chances, although I think, you know, I think Arsenal would have probably won anyway, whether, whether or not Mike Dean was refereeing. Arsenal look so up for it just in all aspects of their performance. Why do you think Wenger seems to be able to seem to motivate them sometimes and others that it just looks like they couldn't be less interested? Absolutely. And that's the big question because obviously we've got this sort of the, the sort of afterglow of, of all the gloating, of all the social media stuff of Arsenal posting this and Arsenal posting that on the internet and talking about this fantastic victory. And obviously it's the big game with the North London derby. They've beaten Tottenham Hotspur. But I think they've been reduced to a situation where beating Tottenham is, is their cup final now. You know, they've beaten Tottenham. That's the big thing for them. But the problem with Arsenal is they get that sort of victory. Now, the next game is away to Burnley. Do you think they're going to go and win a turf more? I wouldn't bet on it. And that's the problem with them because you get this kind of performance. And I know people will say they've won their last 11 league games at home or whatever, but we also know they can go to Watford and lose and, 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 and absolutely go to Burnley and lose. So it's, it's that consistency, really. Although I do find it amazing that he does not play Lacazette, Ozil and Sanchez together more often. It just seems to me that's the obvious thing for him to do. If you've got all this creative talent... Let it, let it, let it show itself. Well, use it while you've got exactly. it. Exactly. Well yeah, use it while three. you've got it. Exactly. Because then you get this bizarre situation yesterday when he's talking post match about the commitment of Ozil and Sanchez. And you're thinking like they haven't signed these contracts. How are they committed to your club? <laughs> Sanchez wants out. Ozil's look, probably looking to go as well. You can't turn around and say they're committed. The narrative or the story. The narrative is a terrible word to use. But the story at Arsenal is Groundhog Day. We all know it. Everyone's talked about it. No one will be banking on the finishing the top four. Actually, look at the table now. There's still six, I think. So it's not as if they've shot to the top of the table. But it was a very, very good victory. But obviously the big thing is, why can't they do that more often? Ozil, sort of like Arsenal in microcosm, isn't he? Uh, looked like an absolute world beater against Spurs. But is that, is that an attitude thing that you but can he, go from that to such sort of anonymous depths at other times? Yeah, he looked like a world beater against England as well when he played for Germany the other night. But somebody was talking about it the other day and they were saying, well, they do this little warm-up at the start of the second half where they run through the cones and sort of get their muscles moving again and so on. Apparently Ozil just trots past instead of actually doing it. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of him, really. I guess he's got that language style and people will say, oh, look, he covers so many kilometres. Didn't look like that on Saturday, did he? He was snapping exactly, into Exactly, but you can see what he can do. And this guy's a World Cup winner. He's been like, you know, German player of the year. He is a fantastic talent. I've got to say, and this probably won't go down very well with Arsenal supporters, you've got to look at the manager. You know, is the manager motivating him enough? Is the manager working him hard enough in training? Are they intense enough in training? Is he are they... frightened enough of Exactly. The is it too much of a, a comfort zone for some of these players that they know they've got a manager who not necessarily indulges them, but will pick them? He will just pick them because, because of who they are. They are great players. But you need more than that sometimes. You need the bit of the stick as well as the carrot. And I think you just don't get enough of that at Arsenal. They can put in fantastic performances like yesterday. Absolutely brilliant. But you still come away from it thinking, why can't you do it more often? You don't come away from thinking, that was fantastic. You think, well, you should be doing that more often. And that's the frustration for everyone. And that's why the Arsenal supporters turn so quickly because they know they've got this incredibly talented team, incredibly talented manager, but they just can't seem to do it on a level that needs to be sustained for over the course of a season. 
A lot of the crowing after the match from the Arsenal fans and social media accounts uh, is about the fact that Spurs haven't actually won anything yet. How worried are we about that if they don't win a trophy? Are we going to look back on them as like a Newcastle 96 sort of team? Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, I, I'm always one of those who thinks it's a little bit harsh to look at it and think you haven't won a trophy. You've got to look at the work that Maurizio Pochettino has done. They've got the sixth biggest budget in the Premier League and they're punching way above their weight. However, talking to people at Tottenham and talking to people close to the manager, he knows, he, he feels he has to win something. And those players feel they have to win something. Because the there, will, the... there will come a point, there will come a point where they'll think, well, actually, this is great but we're not actually getting the trophies here. But you speak to the fans and they're deliriously happy. How much does it actually matter? Not last Newcastle night. fans don't look back at that team in 95, 96 and think, oh, that was awful, I, we didn't I, win anything. I, I agree with you, but and, and, and I say that that was my feeling as well. But having spoken to some people around the players, around the manager, he feels he has to win something, which makes it really strange to me that he kind of like almost devalues the, the League Cup because they went out to West Ham. He said, well, it doesn't really count. And he's almost like thinking my achievements the last few years are much better than Arsene Wenger's because Wenger's won... One only won the FA Cups. Yeah, fine, fine. But Wenger's also won doubles and league championships and so on before then. I understand what Pochettino is saying because the work he's doing is fantastic. He is an outstanding manager. But there is something a little bit still, and I hate to use the word Spursy about Spurs because I'm the one of the, I was one of the first ones to say this new Spurs team is not Spursy because they've, 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 they've cracked it now. They're not going to be like that. But there is a question mark over when they've got the, when the pressure is really on them. The pressure is really on. Have they really delivered? And I think that you for a while you think yes, they're a young team, a developing team. But they're not so young anymore. And the players there who need to really do it consistently. They were unlucky yesterday in that Kane wasn't fit and Ali wasn't 100% fit either or wasn't on form. But at the same time, they, they fell short. Moving up into the East Midlands, it was Leicester City nil, your Premier League champions 2017-18, Manchester City 2. <laughs> Are we ready to call City the most exciting Premier League side ever at the, uh, yet? Uh, yes, I think so, yeah. I think, I mean, that Manchester United 1999 uh, triple winning, treble winning team was was incredible in terms of what they achieved, the goals they scored, the attacking power they had. But there's something there's something actually beautiful about the football that Manchester City play. Actually, watching them live, it sounds a bit sort of wet saying this, but you watch them play and it is beautiful. The the, the, the interchanging, the first goal especially against Leicester yeah, is outstanding. The, they're passing the ball into the net. They're actually giving themselves so little margin for error now that people say oh, traditionally teams would do that, overplay it, and they waste opportunities. Manchester City get themselves in such positions that they can't miss. And that's just, it's almost new in that way. They're so precise in the way they play and they can score such amazing goals. I mean, the, the, goal, the second goal yesterday by Kevin De Bruyne, it's an incredible goal. He's just From, terrifying, isn't he? Because he was in a similar position a few games ago and he shaped to shoot and did this oh, right. a, absolutely yeah. gorgeous sort of, you know, undefendable pass. And he can either do that or he can just blast it past you as yeah, he did against Leicester. And what's, what's incredible about De Bruyne as well is he doesn't really look like an athlete to me. I mean, obviously he's in pretty good shape because he's a professional football player. But you look at him and think he looks like a young kid. Basically, but he's just running the Premier League. Basically, him and David Silva between them are so incredible in that Manchester City team, and he he is the outstanding player of this season by a mile, as far as I can see, because he can do it all. He can do it all. He can score off both feet. He can pass the ball. He can do everything. He can play in any position across that midfield. I think he's an extraordinary talent, a really brilliant player. And that Manchester City side, going back to your, your original point, I believe. Obviously, what's interesting is the injuries now with John Stones and Mendy and so on, and they're a little bit short in defence. But I believe the sustained football they're playing right now is the best I've seen in the Premier League. The football right now, the sustained way they're playing is the best I've seen. They look to have character as well. They did weather an early storm against Leicester. They came through it and and just sort of played their way out of it, which has got to be encouraging for them. And what's interesting is the manager as well. I think he had that year last year where he felt 
things worked against him, that things weren't quite the way he wanted them to be. Last year, he was complaining all the time about refereeing decisions. He was complaining about the football. He was very spiky about people saying he's not going to struggle to crack it in, in England and so on. But actually, I think he's got to grips with the English game and he's thought, right, this is the way we're going to win games. I was speaking to somebody about him uh, not so long ago and he basically said, right, we are going to destroy teams. We're not just going to beat them, we're going to destroy them because in England, they can come back at you. So you're not going to score one goal, you're just going to score three goals. And what we notice with them is they don't shut up shop ever. They score a goal and they want to score another goal and another goal and they want to actually destroy teams. And somebody said to me at the start of the season, another manager said, they are scary. And that's the word he used, they are scary. And he feared when he played them that they would destroy him. And unfortunately, they did. Other side of Manchester, it was Pogba back for United and they suddenly looked confident and full of ideas again. Is it that simple for them that he's just the main man? To be fair to Mourinho, he's talked up Paul Pogba all the time he's been out. And we've been thinking, yes, of course, yes, but you've got all these amazing other players who you know, really should be stepping up to the plate. And one of the big disappointments for them this season has been Mkhitaryan, who's just been poor. But I think that you saw yesterday in particular, they're not even the fully fit Paul Pogba, the value of a player like that, who's got that status, has got that kind of demeanour as much as anything else. I think, I belong here. I'm going to take control of the situation. He didn't play brilliantly yesterday, but he did some brilliant things. And, you know, I think that was absolutely fantastic, him coming back in the team. And the rest of the players get a lift. You see players like that. And they've got the whole narrative now was Latan coming on as well. So suddenly the atmosphere has changed with a, with a fairly comfortable win against Newcastle United, the whole atmosphere has changed around Manchester United. Lukaku escaped his barren patch, but it wasn't exactly a difficult chance. He had about six months to compose himself before scoring <laughs> that. Well, when strikers are going through those uh, patches of not scoring, is it just about getting that next goal to make them feel better? How, is, that, is that a big deal or do we yeah, overplay that? I, I, think, I think you saw the way he finished that chance. That was a player low on confidence because he just hit okay. it hard. He hit it. It could have gone anywhere. He had the state of sort of composure and presence of mind to do his little feint there, didn't but he? But as you say, he had, you know, half an hour to do so, didn't he, really? Yeah. But I thought it was the finish of a player who's low on confidence because he just struck it as hard as he could and it could have hit the goalkeeper. It could have, he didn't place it at all. You know, you expect, and obviously I know he does strike the ball very, very hard, but you'd expect a bit more placement in a shot like that. I think he's been really weighing on his on This his is mind. a wonderful new form of football journalism. We're criticising <laughs> the way that he scored a goal. Yeah, it wasn't good enough. Could have scored it better. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It should be more elegant. He should have passed it in the net like Manchester City. Um, but no, I think, I think he's been weighing on his mind quite a lot. And what's really interesting about the whole Lukaku story for me is that how Mourinho himself has highlighted it. And I think it was a mistake by Mourinho to make a thing of it. I didn't think he needed to do that. And I think when the fans were booing before, it was more about, I think, keeping Rashford on the pitch than taking him off. And I think, you know, he seemed to latch on to the Lukaku thing, which made me think that he was thinking about it as well. And then you get the whole debate about, yeah, OK, he scored the fourth goal in a 4-1 win against Newcastle. When's he going to score a big goal, a big goal for Manchester? And I know we're all very demanding and it's always glass half empty sort of scenario, the way, even the way I talked about Arsenal before, probably the same sort of thing. But you expect, you know, from a player like Lukaku, £90 million striker, he's going to have to score some big goals as well for Manchester United. Capital of sadness, West Bromwich Albion, <laughs> 4-0 defeat to Chelsea, who looks several leagues better than them. That's got to be it for Tony Pulis now, right? What, what are you hearing from out of the Hawthorns? Yeah, I, I think it's quite... I think his best defence at the moment is... Obviously not his defence, but his best defence at the moment is the fact that he's got John Williams, chief executive there, who is quite loyal and will want to see it, see it through with him and his track record of never being relegated as a player, a coach or a manager. However, and I wrote about this on Saturday... If you're a team like West Bromwich Albion with a manager like Tony Pulis, if you take away winning or even drawing, what are you left with? You're not entertaining football, is it? It's just boring. It's rubbish. You know, and the, the fans have turned on him, and understandably so. People say, be careful what you wish for. And it makes me sort of bang my head on the table when people say that because if you're a football club who you run yourself in a decent way, you, you think, right, we, we will have some sort of plans in place. And you, 
you see at the moment at Everton, that's not the case. But you see at West Brom, maybe they've got a plan to bring somebody else in. I can understand why they might stick with Pulis and I can understand why they might get rid of him. I think at the moment it's heading towards him going. He's got his next games against Tottenham Hotspur. I could see that being his last game if he doesn't even go before then. Also, on the subject of being careful what you wish for, it's not like West Brom fans, <laughs> by and large, are going to be absolutely crushed to spend some time in the Championship if that's the worst that it comes well, to. They're a team who's historically been up and down. Obviously, no one wants to get it's relegated. Been a while since but, been the know, championship, exactly, though. and they can they can weather a bit of that. Can't well, they? I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. But what what what, what it's I, fine in the Championship, Jason, <laughs> having a great time. But, but what I mean is, like you know, the argument the argument for for sort of keeping him is really to do with why do it now mid-season why if you wanted this gear change and the football's more exciting maybe it should have done it last summer but they did spend quite a lot of money last summer but I think that you know you, you it's not just about surviving the Premier League surely there comes a point where you think actually we want a little bit more and I know it's a very it's a very de- a dangerous argument because Crystal Palace thought that last summer and look where they are they got Frank de Boer in and now they're fighting relegation which obviously West Brom are as well so it's a very difficult balance but I don't see what the problem is with a, a club wanting to be ambitious their fans wanting a little bit more than just survival. Speaking of Palace, a tool draw for them at home to Everton. I still still believe in Palace, weirdly, <laughs> but this is the sort of match which you've got to be winning if you want to stay up, right? Yeah, I I, I sort of believe in them still as well. I'm not quite sure why. London centric <laughs> media bias. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I think even I mean even yesterday watching the highlights, they were they were very unfortunate, really. I mean, I thought the the team out oh, of those two teams I'd be fearful of is Everton, really. I mean, I thought they were shocking. I mean, the, the, some of the team selections and the tactics and the changes they're making are all over the place at the moment. And I think, I just thought Palace... It's almost like they don't have a manager. <laughs> exactly. It's almost like they don't have a manager and they haven't got any faith in the caretaker. Um, and, and, and half the players haven't either. But I think Palace seems to be like close to being okay to me. But the problem is they can't win games. They won one game all season and, and, and that gap will start to grow and then it will be a real problem for them. But I have a kind of strange faith in thinking they will probably will get themselves out of it. Any danger of Everton appointing a manager, do you think? Well, they're going to probably. I mean, I was at Watford today for West Ham, and Marco Silva did, uh, to be fair to him, did not want to tell us any untruths. But uh, from his body language, it was clearly a man who was struggling with uh, finding the form of words to express the fact that he would quite like that he he was going to hang around to keep do training this week. But actually, without saying this, his body sort of you know gave it away. He'd quite like to go to Everton, wouldn't he? Really, I think I think he wants to go, you know, and I think it's kind of like. Uh, you know, he's hoping it's going to get done this week, but I don't think it will, unfortunately for him, and unfortunately for Everton. And I totally understand Watford's point of view that they want. Well, they won't. They, they say they won't let him go. It's as simple as that. They say, you know, they he's under contract to them. There is no release clause in his contract. He's got a two-year deal. Doesn't matter what compensation Everton have offered, and they've offered ten million pounds, which is pretty hefty sum of money. They're not going to do it. Now, whether or not it's a bit of brinksmanship to get the value of the the compensation up even higher or not. I don't think so. I think at the moment they are adamant he's going to stay and I think he may have to just accept that. Can you not just do the thing at Watford where you kind of turn up the speed on the managerial treadmill and bring the new bloke in straight well, away? Well, I, I, I wrote at the start of the season I thought he might be the one manager at Watford who leaves them before they sack him and I think that will probably will be the case. I would think he will see through this season but then there will probably be a bit of a reckoning in the summer and they probably won't forget what's happened in the last couple of weeks with him and I, would just, and I thought he'd probably looking to move on because, you know, once you've made it clear you want to go, um, and privately I think he has, then I think it's very difficult to stay long term. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Liverpool put three past Southampton. Salah's a very good player, isn't he? 
He's a fantastic player, and again, another one. We were talking about De Bruyne, another one who got away from Chelsea. And I mean, no, he, but he's he's a different player now. To be fair to him, when he was at Chelsea, he looked like a little bit of a, a rabbit in the headlights at times. I think it was a bit too big a move from it. He went back. He went to Italy. He's done fantastically well. He's so quick. He's just so quick. He's like unbelievable. Like Roadrunner. He's incredible. And then he, you know, and he, and he can finish. So what's not to like, really? And in that Liverpool team, he's perfect for them. I mean, when they go forward. You know, when you've got Mane and Salah running at you and Coutinho and Firmino, it's an incredible sight to watch them. I saw them destroy Arsenal earlier this season and it was quite frightening at times, as badly as Arsenal defended. It was quite frightening at times to see how quick Salah is, how, how, how direct he is and how dangerous he is. Big result on the south coast for Bournemouth, 4-0 against Huddersfield. A bit worrying for Huddersfield this, from 2-0 down and then Bournemouth had a man sent off, you go on to lose 4-0. I don't want to be alarmist, but is this the sort of performance that can turn a season for a recently promoted team? I think they've had some poor results on the road, I really do, and I think it is a bit of a problem for them. They got spanked even by um, by West Ham earlier in the season, which is saying something. Um, but no, it, it is an issue for them. But I mean, I mean, come on, I mean, what do the people expect? I mean, Huddersfield Town are in the Premier League. Incredible. This big it's unfair United. to expect they don't concede two more without reply after they're playing against uh, a team of I ten think men. It, it happens. I mean, they're they're a newly promoted team. They haven't got a Premier League team. It's a newly promoted team, and it, it can be difficult at times. You will have these bad results. It's a question now is how they re- they react to that. Unfortunately for them, they're at home to Manchester City next. So I mean, but that will be one of their biggest games of the season. I understand what you're saying, but you know, Bournemouth aren't a bad side. They've had a very difficult start to the season. Um, obviously, they, they you know they, they've got Callum Wilson back now, who I think is I think is a terrific striker. I think if he hadn't got injured, the ter- horrendous injuries he's had, I think he would be in the England squad. You know, I think he's a great striker. He and could he, still get there, right? Yeah. And when he first came up with Bournemouth, um, people were talking about him. A lot of people were talking about him, and he got injured at the cruise year, and then did another cruise year, and to come back like that way. And everyone tells me he's a lovely lad as well. He's a really good guy, and he's worked really hard to get back. So that's, that was, in some ways, the story of the weekend. Him coming back, become the first Englishman this season to score a hat trick. We, of course, cannot leave the Premier League without a word for the fantastic Burnley Football Club. How far can they go this season, do you think? Do you think it's out of the question they could end up in the Europa League next I think, year? I think once you look beyond the top six, it's much of a muchness. Now, I thought at the start of the season, not so long ago, that it would be Watford that would finish seventh. I thought they would be the next best of the rest, really. I think you've got six clubs. Everton want to be in that group as well, but they've, they've fallen so far short of it. And then you've got 13 clubs. And it's really almost like sort of throw it up in the air and see how it lands because... They're all much for muchness. And, and then it comes down to good management. And in Sean Dyche, you've got a manager who, what I like most about Sean Dyche is not just the way he's progressed the team, but the way he's planned the progression of the team. And you look at James Tarkovsky. James Tarkovsky was bought from Brentford, didn't play, just didn't play for Burnley for a long, long time until Michael Keane goes, then he's, in the ta- then he's ready to go in the team and he's in the team and he's playing fantastically well. And you've got a very organised side. And this, I think the first goal they scored yesterday, Jack Cork's goal, the passing movement for that goal was superb. It was fantastic. It's as good as you'll see in the rest of the Premier League. I think there comes a point with Sean Dice, though. He's got to stop talking about not getting the praise he deserves. Little old Burnley, you know, what about us? Well, I think he's getting quite a lot of praise, actually. I think Burnley get a lot of praise, rightfully so. And they've been superb this season. They've had probably the hardest games already. They've gone away to, to Liverpool, to Chelsea. I mean, they've Manchester City. They've, they've, they've done a lot of difficult match. Tottenham Hotspur done a lot of difficult matches already. So why can't they push on? And finish, I don't know, they could easily finish seventh or eighth. No, no problem at all the way they're playing. You know, we're a third of the way through the season. The start, that gap's starting to grow, by the way. They're, they're, they're pushing clear of the rest of the pack. So if they keep carrying on like this, unless Everton come in with an even bigger check than they've offered to Marco Silvers uh, to Watford, then, then yeah, why not? Why can't they finish in the seventh or eighth place? 
Champions League group stage concludes this week, Jason. Looking fairly likely that all five of the English teams are going to get through to the knockout stage. That's, that's a great return, isn't it? Is there a sign that the Premier League is back in the ascendancy? The rest of Europe there? would say it's because they've spent so much money that they've caught up with us. But Quite actually, right I think, to. And understandably so. But no, I think it's also a lot to do with good management. And I think, I think a lot of these teams have got some very, very good coaches who have underperformed in recent years, actually. And I think it's taken a while to get to grips with it. There's been some fortunate draws of sort of like Manchester United and so on. But you look at Tottenham Hotspur, how they performed in that group. Absolutely fantastic. Manchester City have dominated their group. Liverpool have done fine to get through. You know, so I think all, all the teams have, have, have actually performed extremely well. And they're all managing that European campaign and also doing, doing quite well in the Premier League. So I think the rest of Europe are looking at it. And I think at the moment, people are thinking that Manchester City in particular could go all the way this season. I think, you know, obviously it depends on how things go with the Premier League. But they are causing a lot of sort of uh, noise around Europe now and the way they're playing, not least the way they beat Napoli. Real Madrid not having quite so easy a time of it in La Liga, but every chance that they don't continue their run of winning this competition, who do you like to win the whole thing? I, I would like, you know, I obviously like a Premier League club to, to win it. Who's I mean, going to do it? Who's Give him going a prediction. to do it? I, I think the most, the most interesting final at the moment would be Paris Saint-Germain against Manchester City. The sort of two new sort of, you know, Oil rich, you know, states winning, winning the or be vying out for the the Champions League final. I mean, it might be something that sort of the, the kind of purists think, oh, it's all this kind of just throw money at it and all sort of new, nouveau riche and so on. But actually, I think they're the teams who are playing the most exciting football in Europe at the moment. I think it'd be quite, a, I think it'd be a wonderful final if those two teams reached it. Look forward to several million El Cashico headlines. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Long overdue a trip to English football's greatest division, the Championship. Top tier Telegraph sport writer Rob Bakshi joins me now to discuss the second tier. Rob, the big news this weekend was Chris Coleman being announced as the new manager of the Sunderland Tire Fire. They set a new English record of 20 successive home games without victory after their tool draw with Millwall. Do you think Chris Coleman is the man to get them out of trouble? Well, he could be, but they are in a total mess and, and have been for well, ever since Ellis Short took over and he fell out with Roy Keane, I don't think the club has ever gone from more than thinking one month ahead. I, I'm not particularly sure that, that when Allardyce left that they, they picked the right man. In Moyes, I think they fell apart last season and they've left themselves, having sold Pickford and, and several other players, to bring in £50 million. And now they've, they, they've just spent £1.2 million, which I think has left them with a threadbare squad. My view has always been that Sunderland needs someone like Niall Quinn coming in, not to, like he did the first time, not to manage the team because he did that disastrously, but to go around and build up support amongst you know a pretty jaded fan base. Right. I mean, it's amazing how long the fans stuck with Sunderland, but you watch the highlights now and see so many empty seats there. That, that's got to be a real worry for them that they've lost the goodwill of an incredibly tolerant supporter. They have. And, and you know, it's almost as if, as if when a club gets into that shape, that they need, they almost need him. They need Keegan. They need a manager that can whip up. He's your solution to everything, he, Rob. Well, uh, tends, Kevin Keegan. He tends to be, but I think that for for clubs that are broken, that have broken that link between between themselves and their community, the only thing you can do is someone who rouses the whole community, not just the club. Wolves leading the way quite comfortably in the Championship at the moment. They've spent an awful lot of money, despite all the talk of this league's competitiveness and being very unpredictable. Is that the sad secret now, that to win promotion you just need to spend more than everyone else? Well, I think that's that's part of it. I mean, Borough have spent significantly more than, than Wolves have. They've spent, I think, 45 to 50 million quid, whereas, whereas Wolves have spent about 20. But what Wolves have is, is an incredible relationship with, with Georgie Mendes, the agent, and they've got, they've got three outstanding players in on loan. Uh, 
Boley, Jota and um, this Bonatini chap, the Brazilian centre forward they've got. Ruben Neves, who the one that they everyone's talking about, the one they signed for 16 million quid, is, is an outstanding uh, defensive midfield player. And they look the real deal. They're playing 3-4-3. They, they move the ball about. And Nuno Espirito Santo is just an incredibly experienced manager and, and one with bold ideas. So I think Wolves are, you know, bolted on for promotion. Sheffield United also up there with them at the moment. Do you think they can maintain that sort of form? Well, I think they've built on what they did in, in League One. Yeah, I think they've got a real cohesion there and, and two really, really forceful strikers in, in Leon Clark and, and Billy Sharp. Whether they've got... They've got Cameron Carter-Vickers in at the back who, who looks a classy player. And they've got this, this winger, uh, David Brooks, who um, is outstanding and moves the ball around quickly, gets on the end of things. So I think they've got a chance of certainly staying up there. They don't really have huge strength in depth, but but what they've managed to do is create this this extraordinary cohesion and you, they've got a sense of, of, of momentum building with them. Middlesbrough's manager Gary Monk returned to Ellen Road to face your Leeds United team on Sunday and lost 2-1. Do you think Monk has any feelings of regret about how it panned out at Leeds? Well, it sort of fell apart to it for him towards the end of um, last season. I think uh, the wheels came off in April and, and we fell out of the top six. So they were never going to give him anything other than a, a one-year extension, which he felt with the money on the money on the table from from Borough and a long-term contract, and crucially the ability to to have a you know play a part in the transfer business. I think that he was always going to go, and Leeds just wouldn't offer him that with their desire to impose this continental structure on the club. Leeds have spent the fifteen million quid they got for for Chris Wood on ten or twelve players. That's not what Monk wanted to happen. He wanted, you know, targeted players with championship experience. How's your level of Leeds United satisfaction currently? Well, the problem we have as Leeds fans is that we're sort of delighted anyway because we've got rid of, of you know, our run of terrible owners. We've got rid of Chilino, GFH and, and, and Bates, who, you know, we, we didn't particularly, or the people I sit with or used to sit with, couldn't, couldn't get on with the way that they ran the club. So the satisfaction was already there. Losing six out of seven... Uh, took the gloss off that, but but today's performance, he's been doing, uh, Thomas Christensen has had them in doing double sessions during the international week, and they certainly look better at the back than they've looked for a long time. We tend to see a team emerge from nowhere to challenge in the second half of the season in the Championship. Who do you fancy as being that team this year? Well, last last year it was Fulham, and and, and oddly I think it will be them again. They've had a lot of bad injuries with, with, with Kearney particularly, and Piazon, uh, the guy they've got on loan from Chelsea, have been out for quite a long time but they are coming back now I think from February last year they just came like a train and I think you know now that they've resolved all their, their strange goings on behind the scenes with their with their analytics guy that they, they've really got a chance of, of, of pushing on. What about the opposite of that the team that's doing quite well at the moment who might fall away and end up in trouble? Bristol City are doing doing remarkably well but you know they were never anyone's idea of, of, of promotion candidates at the start of the season. Again, you'd have to see how they'd strengthen in January, but they are playing some wonderful football at the moment. Do you think sometimes in the Championship you can just get on a bit of a roll and the club gets excited and the fans get excited and, and that can be enough to get you up? Yes, I, I certainly do. And I think that it's such a, such a crazy league. I mean, Leeds lost six out of seven, but you know, when they won today and they're back up to seventh, there, there's nothing really that, that separates you know, from, from, the, from third place down to about 50. Yeah, QPR lost to Aston Villa as well, which was absolutely unthinkable before the game began. Rob, thanks very much. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. 
independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Some fun and games on social media this weekend as Arsenal created a storm in a teacup with an animated gif of a teacup. After their win in the North London derby, they tweeted an impudent, winky-faced emoji and an even more impudent gif of Meza Ozil taking a sip of tea at journalist Adam Crafton. Earlier this week, he had picked a composite Arsenal and Tottenham team and failed to include any Arsenal players. So Arsenal had a pop back, all quite mild fun and games in the aftermath of a derby win, you might think. But on Saturday night, Adam suggested football clubs should be more careful about setting their enormous social media followings onto individuals and that he received abuse all day on Twitter after the Arsenal tweet, some of it anti-Semitic. Lindsay Hooper, Premier League reporter and co-founder of the Offside Rule podcast, joins us now. Lindsay, Arsenal have more than 12 million followers on Twitter, many of whom feel very strongly about the club. Do they have a duty to avoid posting anything even slightly controversial on social media? No, I don't think so. I think otherwise, where do you draw the line with it? I think it was quite a playful response. I think uh, the accounting question, um, of course, is coming from a, a Daily Mail journalist. So the Daily Mail has quite a big following as well. Um, it wasn't like they singled out a, a single fan. Um, I, I don't know. I just... It doesn't sit well with me. I think I think it's really important that the people that have been sending responses, which have been either homophobic or, or anti-Semitic or whatever it might be, that's where the problem is, um, not with really what Arsenal has done. Right. So ultimately, it's a broader problem than uh, what a club is putting out there. Yeah. I mean, we've known for some time that trolling on, on social media sites like Twitter goes on, but nothing really has been done to clamp down. Um, there are mute buttons and block facilities, so I, I do encourage people who receive that to just use them. But I think in any walk of life, you're going to get criticism. And certainly, you know, the original Spurs 11 that was chosen, which which actually caused all this in the first place, I mean, there was always going to be a little bit of backlash on that. Now, of course, it's, it's actually been flagged up to a, a broader audience. Um, but I think it, you just have to take it a little bit water off the duck's back because... A lot of these people are keyboard warriors, as we like to call them. And um, and a lot of it, I think you just have to hit block and ignore and mute and, and just get on with things. Because we're all here to have an opinion and I don't really want to shut down anyone having one. And I do think that there wasn't any in- intent from Arsenal um, for the journalist to get, you know, as many responses as he did. Mm. Football journalists are used to some clubs being slightly uncooperative at times. But what does it say about the relationship between clubs and journalists that Arsenal single out one like this? Well, I don't think they were thinking at the time that they'd be singling out in that manner. I don't think they would have at all expected the response that he got. And I'm I'm still shocked that he has. You know, it, it's just awful that there are segments of society that just want to be negative all the time. I think what they were trying to do is be quite playful and actually be quite positive and say, you know, actually, we did really well and Meza Erzog did really well and a little bit of ha ha ha. And that is what, you know, if we go back even further, is this the equivalent of a pub chat nowadays? Because that's what people tend to do. They go on Twitter rather than go down the pub. Um, so I, I think it, it's been escalated and it's, it's gone a little bit to the point of, I, I don't know what will happen next, but hopefully um, there won't be things put in place that stop clubs from doing this sort of thing. Because I think it's important that they show they have a bit of personality, a bit of character, and that we're not always going to get, you know, just informal, uh, sorry, informative information via their, their feeds. We want to make sure that we see that they've also got a bit of a sense of humour and personality as well. Is there a bit of a danger though that Arsenal are making a rod for their own back if Ozil is very disappointing at Burnley next week? <laughs> well, I'm sure they will say to you that if they could actually... Uh, 
count up the number of tweets and different responses they've had across different platforms that have been negative over the years. I'm sure that I'm sure they're into you know big figures, probably into seven figures or so. It, you know they they are used to it. That's the game of football. One week it's one way, and it can completely change another. And we saw the campaigns against Wenger last season. And I'm sure a lot of that will have been directed at different Arsenal accounts. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's so much of that that goes on in football. It's, it's an area I'd like to see go out, the negativity, because I think at, at the end, it's just, you know, it's a sport. It's something for us to enjoy, not something for us to constantly get at each other about. Do you feel like Twitter should be doing more to make sure that sort of abuse isn't possible on their website? Yeah, I've, although I think it's very difficult to administer at the moment. I think perhaps more... More rules need to come into play. Um, more legislation needs to come into play. I think at the moment it's just too big a beast to control. But perhaps there is an argument that the club should be setting a more respectful tone and then none of this happens. If, if they stick to kind of, as you say, being informative and, and only really, you know, getting involved in, in the very positive side of things, then, then this sort of thing doesn't happen. Yeah, but at the same time, I think what they actually did was quite clever in a way at being a little cheeky but they didn't actually put any words it was just um it was just Meza Erzl drinking a cup of tea wasn't it so I mean if they'd have actually got into a war of words with someone I would say well maybe that could get into petty realms but I think it was it was just meant to be quite you know jovial and meant to be taken in good spirits and of course there are people out there that never do there's an element of tribalism as well isn't there here that everything gets amplified on social media compared to what anyone would possibly say in real life yeah and this was the north london derby it's one of the biggest derbies that the country sees and i think we saw as well what it meant to the players the fans um over the weekend and that is going to filter over into different forms and social media being one of the main ones nowadays and I think we've got to expect that people will come out after a game like that. And whether it would have been that incident that happened, it might have ended up being something else. One of the players themselves going on Instagram, you know, that happens quite a lot nowadays as well. But where do you draw the line? People have to have a freedom of speech to express themselves. And as long as they aren't deliberately um, being insultive or or trying to gauge a reaction like like a negative one, then I don't think... I don't think they should be pulled up on it. And what about from the writer's side? When journalists write something contentious, should they just be prepared to tough it out? Well, there's an element of, you know, you're in the public eye, whether it be through writing or if you're in broadcast media like myself or someone, you have to expect a little bit of backlash. Not everyone is going to like what you say or what you write. Um, I think the magnitude of this has been quite difficult. And I do have an element of sympathy with the journalist because... It's, it's horrible to go through, isn't it? Yeah. We all know if we work in this industry what it's yeah. like when, when you do make a mistake and, and you get uh, punished for it. It's horrible. Yeah, and we're all human and we don't like reading negative things about ourselves or anything. At the same time, you're, you're putting your thoughts out there. That's what that platform is, isn't it? It's about opinions. And if you put it out there, then you've got to expect to get it back. You, you probably don't expect to get it in thousands. Um, but on those times when it does, you, I think you just have to just turn it on to mute and go off it for a few days or a few weeks and then forget about it. Let's just make sure neither of us says anything bad about Arsenal in the coming weeks. Lindsay, thank <laughs> you very much for joining us. No problem. You know what time it is, podcast fans. It's Hero of the Week. 
We couldn't look past the tale of young goalkeeper Ed Hewitson, who made his debut for Merthyr Town on Saturday in less than ideal circumstances. 80% of the Evo Stick Southern Premier League senior squad left earlier in the week in the wake of a financial crisis which has threatened the future of the club. Hewitson, just 15 was drafted into an extremely inexperienced starting eleven to start in goal away at Chesham. He made a number of excellent saves and was named man of the match afterwards. Unfortunately, he was also on the losing side, a side which lost by a score of 13-1. Honour to make my debut today and get man of the match, a sanguine Hewitson said afterwards. Not the result we were looking for, but a massive shout-out to the travelling fans who I can't thank enough for the warm welcome. That's the spirit, Ed. Jason, when have you felt most sympathy for a young player making their debut? There was a, a player a few years ago, I think it was 1997, in fact, called Jason Crow, um, who made his debut for Arsenal, came on as a substitute in a League Cup match. I think they were playing Birmingham City. It might be an extra time even. And he got sent off, and he was on the pitch for 33 seconds and never wore an Arsenal shirt again. Didn't see him again playing for Arsenal. He did have a career in the lower divisions, but not for Arsenal. A sad tale to end on. That's Total Football completed for another week. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at Tom with an H Gibbs, but let's not have another sad episode of social media journalist abuse. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a generous rating on iTunes. Our theme tune is by Polvo. Direct your internet machine to mergerecords.com to buy their music. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again, if you like rugby. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.